How's it going, everybody? Happy Thursday, and welcome back to another episode of Characters of Culture. I'm Rob Fishbeck, and with me, as always, to my left, right, one of those two, Lego. What's going on, bud? Oh, man. I've spent the last four hours drinking a pint of caffeine, and I am prepared to talk about this effing subject. Very dangerous, you with the caffeine. Uh it can be very beneficial because uh, Lego can knock out many thumbnails, graphs, and picture charts when Lego is fully caffeinated. So there is an upside. There's definitely an upside. But uh, speaking about all of that, we are here tonight to talk about the studio system in during basically the golden age of Hollywood. So pretty much starting right out of the gate when movies went from being filmed like where the film capital center was in new york in 1910 they moved to los angeles and uh kind of like the old west it was still pretty much the old west they had very loose labor laws and it was kind of a lawless area anyways and that's where everybody went to start to go make movies so you get the next 30 40 years until things started to change and uh yeah so we're here tonight to cover the darker side of Hollywood with the studio system. Uh, Lego, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Where do you yeah. want to get started? So that was a really great recap. Um, so I guess we probably should start off with a brief, what the studio system is. Okay. So the studio system, I'm gonna briefly explain and we're gonna get more detailed and talk about some very uh, unfortunate incidents and side effects of this. So briefly, what the studio system is, is major studios wanted con to control all aspects of the production, distribution, and exhibition of films to maximize their profit. For example, um, probably the most notable way that studios did this is they owned movie theaters back in the day. Um, and this was from like the earliest theaters up until about 1948 with a landmark Supreme Court decision that we'll talk about later when we get to like going through the 40s and this like vertical in integration was obviously a monopoly and um, very illegal um, and it didn't take until 1948 um, for people to recognize this. It was actually litigation was held for over 10 years before we got to the landmark 1948 case. Um, but you know, these people had a lot of money and they had a lot of great lawyers um, and they did a lot of shady things to ensure their power was maintained. Oh dear. Um, I think, like Rob said, we do need to mention like the golden age of Hollywood is from about 1927 when we first are introduced from, um, or while we're going from silent to talkies. Um, talkies obviously being films with sounds. And wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't hear nothing yet, was the Ooh. first line from any movie spoken ever, which is pretty awesome. And this golden age lasted till about 1948, which is when that landmark Supreme Court decision, United States versus Paramount, um, ended the studio system and also ended the golden age of Hollywood. Right. Um, back in the day, there were five major studios and three minor studios, and I'm sure you've heard of all eight of these, and we're gonna go a little bit more into details in those in a minute. But at first, kind of what Rob was saying, we kind of, we sort of need to talk about like, why uh, studios went to Hollywood? Like what, what, what moved them? Well, well right out of the, right gate, out of the gate, um, um, you have, have 
New York, which gets cold in the winter, it's hot in the summer, it's densely populated, there's not a lot of real estate to begin with, and to have a studio and or sound stages would cost a lot of money. So, hey, where can we go and film movies where there's not a lot of laws, there's not a heavy populated area, uh, it's nice all the time. We can build outwards instead of upwards. Hey, Los Angeles, California. So everybody migrated west. And then, yeah, the if you saw at the top of the video, I put all that stuff in the compilation, all of the major studios from the time. Absolutely. And they started to evolve. So there was sprawling landscapes. There was great weather. There were lax labor laws but you actually missed the most important reason they left. Thomas Edison. Yes, Tom ah. Edison, the devil himself. Yeah. Okay. I'm sticking to it. So Thomas Edison was well known for having like patents for everything. If he could get a patent for something, even if he didn't invent it, he would, because he's a douchebag. Or as I'm gonna quote, a cutthroat business style. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so he had the patent to the first ever camera and he kind of aligned himself with Kodak and a couple other people who had everything you needed to make movies and they formed a trust, the Edison Trust. So they basically owned technically the rights to everything you need to make a movie and they went to court with everybody. So the major reason that studios or just people who wanted to make movies went out west is before all those reasons Rob said plus it was difficult for Edison to enforce his patents from New Jersey to California because he was stationed in New Jersey so typically judges in California would side with the independents and if they didn't it's really difficult back in those days to enforce stuff like laws, so even if they didn't side with them, they weren't gonna be able to enforce this from New Jersey to California because what are they gonna do? Travel all the way there? Nah. So we have our first movie being filmed in California in 1910. We have our first studio in 1911 in, or on Sunset Boulevard. I actually didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And then by 1915, um, most major motion picture companies had relocated to Hollywood. Which is pretty cool. Which it remains today, other than when they film in Toronto or Atlanta. So, hey man, Atlanta's the new Hollywood. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. That's sort yes. of true. Yes. So, anyway, we do have our five, our five major studios and three minor studios, and they are these ones Paramount, Fox. RKO, which is no longer really around, MGM, which is kind of not really around anymore, Warner Brothers, and then our three minor studios are United Artists, which is folded into something else, I don't remember, Columbia and Universal. Most of these do still exist in one form or another. We, uh, leave it up there real quick, because it's interesting, because like just in my lifetime, um, like for example, Citizen Kane was an RKO picture. Um, the DVD print that I have of it was distributed by Warner Brothers, who I would assume at some point or another owned RKO. Um, MGM was in uh, bought out United Artists sometime in the 80s. Um, but yes, now Sony is who owns MGM. 
Uh, there was TriStar Pictures, and then they merged, and it was Columbia TriStar. It's interesting. Just like that's its own episode. It's just the history of who owned what with these studios because it's crazy. Um, but yeah, you can take that off now. But uh, to go along with Lego's point, you know, just so everybody's aware, and that's kind of the new format with this show is we're going to kind of deep dive into different subjects, talk about that, talk with the chat as well, and give a little bit of a history lesson along with it. So again, just so that everybody's totally knows what's going on. Um, oh, wait, kind of want to interrupt. Yeah, you go ahead. Second. What, like we were saying, um, RKO's history is super, super interesting because it was purchased by Howard Hughes. I couldn't pull his name for a split second. Did you see the fear in my eyes? Howard Hughes. And if anyone, they were like in a lot of financial trouble and then they made The Conqueror, which is arguably one of the worst movies in cinema history and also maybe killed like half of its cast in horrible and if you've never heard of the conqueror it's with john wayne i think it's 1950 something i definitely recommend looking up like the history of that movie it's insane i think that was the last movie rko made because it was so crazy okay interesting i love i love the history lessons so like Different studios were known for different things during the golden age of Hollywood. Like, for example, MGM was very well known for their musicals and comedies. Like, that's what that was their, you know, that was where they made their bones was from musicals and from comedies. Warner Brothers obviously had the gangster pictures. Those were wildly popular, especially in the 1930s and going into the 1940s. RKO, they were more along with um paramount a little bit more for like the filmmakers they took more chances obviously rko eventually doing a movie like citizen kane which at the time on paper should never have been made for multiple reasons because let's let's be honest you're taking a big gamble on a on a you know a picture like that and you know basically kind of slandering william randolph hearst which is we'll get to him later uh but all that being said so there's that. And then like Fox, like for example, Fox was kind of known for being the company that had stars, star power. They had John Wayne. So also John Ford, they had Shirley Temple, all that sort of stuff. That's kind of what they were known for at the time. And, and again, all of these things kind of come and go, but during the golden age, that's kind of what they were known for. So just kind of throwing that out there as well. What do you got next Lego? Okay. So so as I said earlier, the studio system kind of reigned from the 20s throughout the 40s. So in that time, of course, there's some big things in the world happened, i.e. the Great Depression, which is sad, hence the name. I'm yes. sticking to that. So the Great Depression, uh, well, began in 1929 and it lasted until about 1939, heavily impacting the studios. At the beginning of the Great Depression, uh, these major studios really kind of flourished. And they were called uh, the Dream Factory and considered themselves depression-proof. And the yellow, I went and grabbed <laughs> the combined box office totals for the top 10 uh, films every year from 1927 to 1950. I added them up and I showed their totals to see about where um the box office was 
obviously 1939 is kind of an outlier because it's gone with the wind, which was like nine times right. um, the second film. So it was like $18 million or something. And then the next film was like significantly less. It was crazy. Um, but, you know, you can kind of see that at the beginning of the depression, the box office was taking a dip, went back up, and then it had a very slow incline until about 1939, which was obviously, again, an outlier because of Gone with the Wind. But you can see a steady rise in the box office. Again, that's just the top 10 films of those years because it's kind of hard going back that far to see, like, how much did MGM make that year? Like, I really couldn't pull that data. Uh, but the fact that I got that data, I was actually pretty pretty happy. I can go back to 1927 for box office numbers. You don't understand how happy that makes this little nerd. Some Somewhere in America, Dan Merle is turning in and going. There's someone else out there that knows as much about box office as I do. Anyways, um, that being said, so the other thing that's interesting with the Great Depression, and I remember learning this in junior high in history class, um, the it's reason, and again, you're totally right. The first few years of the Great Depression, it was wildly popular to go to the movie because escapism. You like how great was it to just get away for an hour and a half from all your troubles and woes and go to a picture show, right? And this is in the days where they would have like short serials or newsreels prior to the movie. So you're being entertained for even a longer period of time. So yes, that was big. And then eventually the Great Depression did take its toll on everything for a while. And then by 1939, things started to turn around and you get a you know masterpiece like Gone with the Wind, which, again, there are there are obviously elements of that film that people have issues with in today's world. But if you just look at it on paper, it's like, wow, for a movie that's almost 100 years old, it holds up. Like, it looks good, a lot of the shots and everything that are in that movie. So that being said, the other little anecdote that I've always said is the reason popcorn is associated with the movies is because it was super, super cheap, which, and it is very super cheap to make. That's where the movie theater makes their money at, boys and girls. They make their money yeah, off of a concession. That's where they make their money, okay? Everybody knows it. It's, it's twice, 18 fucking dollars for a tub of popcorn that costs 10 cents, probably less, right? Um, yeah. And it was very filling. So, obviously, Depression-era food, super-duper cheap, super-duper filling. That was kind of the kind of the deal frankly rob i don't give a damn i, I see it in the comments <laughs> um yes all, right. all that's very very true but something that we don't generally very we i don't know you might have learned about this i didn't learn about this um in school is that there was a moral backlash during the great depression especially in like the midwestern area where there was like the the dust bowl oh yeah a lot of religious people wow, and wow. they actually really disliked like the decadent lifestyle that they were beginning to learn about of um the hollywood elite type peoples and how much money they were making which was kind of like now yeah so uh that combined with again little known fact in uh 19 there was a court case uh the mutual decision it's called where the Supreme Court decided that films were not entitled to First Amendment protection. And that was not overturned until 1952. So between 1915 and 1952, films did not have the right to free speech. 
And a lot, well, they looked it up to states and cities to make their own decisions about censorship. And I think in one year alone, I think it was 1932, there were over, there were over like a thousand different laws passed for censorships, especially in Ohio. I don't know what it was with Ohio, but they were like really iffy on films. So that's how we get to the Hayes Code, which lasted from about 1934 to 1968, with the early 30s being a lot more harsh and the 60s were a lot more lax. Um, I'll give some examples of the Hayes Code. I made this. I made a video about it. I didn't upload the picture. While she's looking for that, um, I'll throw in another little trivia fact. Um, the 1931 movie Frankenstein. There yes. is a, there is a very fa- and again, if you go back and watch it, that movie is scary as fuck. Especially for its time. like if you just kind of put yourself into that time. And again, I was watching a video the other day about. Uh, why the exorcist was so scary when it came out and it's like the person made a comment you had to go to the theater to see a movie you know home video wasn't a thing till the 80s you know for the common man and you know cable wasn't a thing until the 80s so if you wanted to watch a movie you had to go to the theater so a movie like frankenstein comes out and there's that scene with the little girl and the flowers and stuff they Mm -hmm. actually edited out that scene in later showings of the film because people were so fucking scared seeing this, you know, and like, again, the moral stuff and, you know, views and all those sorts of things. And it wasn't, I mean, again, the fifties, by the time the Hays Code went away in the, in the fifties, you got a period, you made a comment like the movies in the sixties were kind of lax. They're a little more. Yeah. Fifties and sixties, definitely. And then you get to like 68, 69 when new Hollywood kicks in. And we go into the 70s where movies were the fucking best. That was the greatest decade in film. And I'll argue that until I'm dead. Um, I'll argue against that. Uh-huh. I know you will. I know you will. But uh, but yeah. So anyways, so you got, actually, do you have the graph? Oh, yeah. Um, so the Hayes Code. This is just some. So the Hayes Code is actually a list of don'ts and be carefuls. So the don'ts. This is just a graph of kind of like the don'ts. Basically... Nothing gay. Uh, you can't show biracial couples. You can't show white slavery. Um, you can't show criminals getting away with crimes. You cannot depict cops being bad or like any politicians being bad or anything like that. Um, you're not. A, you have to respect the flag and people of other nations should be shown fairly. You can't really depict religion that well and if you do it has to be with respect no profanity no obscenity obscenity no vulgarity definitely no nudity like it's kind of like with tv with like i love lucy you know like people have to sleep in two different beds even if they're married i don't think they were allowed to show pregnancy yeah it's a lot of crazy crazy stuff obviously there were some films that broke the Hayes code i'll go back up here this is famous you were not allowed to say damn in 1939. They had to rewrite the rules to allow Gone with the Wind to use the word damn, which is why I will argue that damn um, is the most important use of profanity in a film. Okay, why is that? Because they had to change, they literally had to change the rules to allow that to happen. This was illegal. Technically, he should have been charged like, I think it was $10,000, which would amount to today over $100,000. 
Um, I don't remember the specific numbers. I just remember Riot, overthrow, overthrow. Yeah. And it's because they tried putting in all different substitutes to like use a different word and nothing worked. And like, they, we have to use the word damn. And the censor board agreed with them and they were okay with it. And they changed the rules to allow them to do that. It was like a big thing. It's kind of like Howard Hughes, if you've seen the film, The Aviator, where he's like showing like, his bra well, the charts the charts yeah. with the with the mammaries with yeah. the mammaries as yes. a side note and I'll, this is something that i want to start doing on the show um kind of just put the list out maybe like a week or two before we do an episode once we start covering these decade by decade but um there's definitely some some like if you're going to watch an episode of this show there's definitely like a short list of movies that i would put as like a companion piece to these sorts of things and the aviator is definitely one that i would recommend from what we're covering tonight. I also just saw you, I saw your letterbox the other day. You watched, finally watched Mank. Yeah, I still think RKO 281 is better. I gotta see that movie. I've never seen it. I don't think you're gonna like it as much as Mank, um, but I think it's a good movie. Uh, okay. I don't know. I really like, so Orson Welles is played by Lee Schreiber. I couldn't pull his name. I'm so bad with names. And oh, you know, I love Lee Schreiber, but he's not Orson Welles. <laughs> But I mean, he's a good actor and he does a good performance, but it's like, I'm not looking at this and thinking it's Orson Welles at any point. I'm looking the guy at that played him in May gave me Orson Welles vibes. I actually, th I thought that was CGI. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> what is happening? I'm confused. Yeah. Did did they do like the creepy CGI, bring the yeah. person back from the dead thing? I just didn't know. Anywho, we digress. So one of the ways that studios implement, well, Studios really implemented like two big things to ensure that they would survive the Great Depression in terms of their strategy. One of which is a lot of their films uh, are based on plays and novels. So like even back at the beginning of the film industry, everything's based on fucking IP. Damn. And they also implemented the star system. And that's where Rob and I are really gonna talk about some shit because it is crazy. As I kind of want kids, it's gonna be a bumpy night. I broke it. it down into two sections on this. No, I didn't. I broke it down into three okay. sections on this thing. So at first I thought we would talk about their contracts because everything else isn't going to make sense unless you understand what happens with the contracts. Right. So basically what would happen was, like I said, there's five major studios and three minor studios. So what these studios, especially the big five would do is they would sign an actor to their studio. So instead of being signed to a specific film, they would be contracted to the studio and contracts on standard were four to seven years long. Sometimes actors would go out on loan to other studios. That wasn't super um, popular, but that, they that did happen. They usually only let them do it if they could make a deal. Like for example, like I'll, tr I'll loan you out one of my stars, but you also, but I wanna borrow so-and-so for this movie. Like it was always, there was always something else involved. They weren't just being nice. Like, Hey, yeah, I'll loan you Cary Grant for a picture or something. They always were going to either make a lot of money off of it, or they were going to sell off two of their stars to make two pictures with a different studio, or I'll trade you him for her or whatever it is. So, you know, yes. Way. Yes, yes, yes. What were you going to say about Bride of Frankenstein? For okay, so I was just going to say, I'll come back around to that when we're talking about lavender marriages, but that's not until later. Um, so I'll, I'll get to it, though. <laughs> I promise. Um, another thing in terms of the contracts was 
actors really couldn't reject roles. Um, I mean, they could, but if they did, they would generally be like suspended or blacklisted. And if you're suspended, you're basically just not working for a long and period of time. you can't work for anybody else because you're under contract. Yeah. And this was actually really, really cool and interesting thing that happened with those two things. If I can find the person um, with um, Olivia de Havilland. I really hope I said her name right. De Havilland. De Havilland. Okay. So she worked for W Warner Brothers, WB. And her she had a contract for seven years. And for one period, she didn't, she rejected a role, so she wasn't allowed to work for a while. They really punished their stars because they were assholes. Especially the women. Yes, very true. So when her seven-year contract was up, she was ready to move on. But what would typically happen is um they would extend the contract for the amount of time that the person was on suspension. The Warner Brothers logic is that California law, you can add time to a contract if the person who was working for you, and this isn't just the film industry, this is just a general, um, was suspended for time for work. So when de Havilland sued, her logic, or her lawyer's logic, was an employer cannot extend a contract past seven years, and that was how long her contract was for. And this, she won, and this changed how studios were allowed to work their contracts, and it kind of killed the star system, and it was known as the de Havilland Law, which is really, really awesome. Like, she fundamentally altered this really cruel system that was in place, which is pretty interesting. Now, let's get to some of the the meat here. No, we have Whipper, a lot more to talk about. Whip, oh. oh, no, 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 yeah. I, I was going to mention the, the name changes, go but go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. We have other things to talk about before we get to that. Wow, look at the rundown. Be professional. Okay. So uh, there was also um, no limit put in place to how much a person could work. So they really, like, so I think this is something you brought up earlier, which was the length of the time film. Wow, I did not sentence that words hard. Talking not easy. Um, The the runtime of films changed (laughs) in the 20s to the 40s. So, you know, you have like shorts to like feature length films and even feature length films have gotten longer um, throughout history. So it was always Judy Garland. The, the, oh. the Nation, that would be like an exception. That was a very long movie, but for yeah, the most part, epics. they were under an hour and a half. Yeah, there were some epics in there. Yeah. Epics. I'm having, I'm going to. Epics. The, uh, yes. All right. All right. Words. So for example, um, they would push their stars to work like a ridiculous level. And I mean, stars, like the highest paid people. And oftentimes they would just give them drugs, like amphetamines to keep them going. Julie Garland is a very, very famous example of someone. She was at one point pushed to work six days a week, sometimes up to 18 hours a day. She was not allowed to take a sick day. Uh, or go to therapy, and if any of those things happen, like the production costs for her, like stopping, came out of her paycheck. And at one point, uh, it said she owed MGM a hundred thousand dollars. That's on nineteen like forties money, which is ridiculous. And we all know, unfortunately, considering how she died, the studio system was absolutely responsible. They would also guilt the fuck out of her. So like, if she, you know, needed to take a break, or they would be like, oh, you know, like everybody's here for you. Like we, you gotta. You know, everybody, we're paying everybody. They're all here for you. It was abuse. And then they forced her to get an abortion and they only let her drink coffee, chicken noodle soup, and smoke cigarettes. That was her fucking diet. 
pretty much most of her life and then she died at 47. We'll go more into that. Yeah. So now we can get into the control image. So studios really control the image from like every single aspect. They control these people's lives. Um, I want to say, the, like on a side note, the main reason this was done is because we also at this point started getting like tabloid magazines and yeah. studios found that people had like an extreme interest in like the stars. So that's mainly why this was done. Okay, so they would change people from the beginning. They would change people's names, generally speaking, for one of two reasons. Either um, they wanted to sound more Anglo. So a lot of times people will say it's like westernizing a name, but that's not always true because um, so, so you hear this a lot with people who've immigrated from various countries in Asia, uh, but there are plenty of countries in uh, Europe. Oh, yeah where that would be the case too. My name would be considered too, way too French. I would have had to change my name to make it too sound ethnic. more Anglo. Yeah. What? Too ethnic. Yes. <laughs> um, also, sad note, I would be too tan. That's ridiculous. Anyway. You would be too tan? Yeah, those actors, they were white. Oh, really? I mean, they were white. With I do black and white pictures, I have to paint my face green because I, I don't show up right in black and white. It's a sad, I didn't know you sad were that tan. What? I didn't know you were that tan. Yeah, this white, I mean, I'm using harsh white lights. But anyway, um, they also sometimes just change people's names to make them sound, like, nicer. Like, Cary Grant, that's a great name. His real name, Archibald Leach. You know now, what? that's a good old-fashioned American name right there, Mr. Archibald Leach. But it's not a Hollywood name. Also, nowadays, uh, you might note some people still have, like, stage names. Uh, that's done because no one can have the same name in the uh, – I'm blanking on the word. In, in, in the, the, uh, uh, the unions, the screen actors? The thing. You know the, the thing. The, the guild? The union? I can't think of the word. Um, what? Look it up. I'll, I'll, I'll cover it. I'll cover it for a second. Um, like no, for, I'm not, so, not going to pull it. But, you, you, you know, everyone who's an actor has to be registered – to the thing. Sure. And uh, no one can have the same name. Oh, goodness. I'm really bad with words. I'm looking it up. You keep talking. Yeah, uh, anyway. So, the guild. The actor's guild. There we go. I said guild. Oh, I didn't hear you. I'm so sorry. Anyway, SAG. Yes, everyone was saying it. They were yelling it at me, and you were right, too, because I just could not pull that word. Anyway, the, the, everyone... In the Screen Actors Guild, no one can have the same name. That's how I forgot what Michael Keaton's real name is. Unless they're dead, because uh, you know there's a Steve McQueen director out there now. Yeah, there are two Tom Hollands as well. That's confusing. Oh, I guess because he's a director and he's an actor. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's a dumb rule, and I think we should riot and overthrow him. But... Okay. Anyway, in the, under the Star System, studios also uh, changed. Studios also changed people's images. Did you know? Rob, Marilyn Monroe was a curly-haired brunette? I absolutely did know that. I wish Jean. I had brought a before and after picture because she was so much cuter as a brunette. And it's really sad that they made her bleach her hair blonde. I mean, okay, there was a lot of other things that were really unfortunate. That's like the least of them, but like they also to do, that too. They used to do electro, like they would put electrodes on Rita Hayworth's hairline because they thought she looked too ethnic. And to recede her hairline just like an inch, so she looked more like your, you know, average American European oh, woman. Isn't that on a nothing? side note, oh, 
some of the things they did with those eyebrows are a tragedy. Right. That's neither here nor Rita Hayworth, here. also, that's not her real name either. Same with Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, Natalie Wood, Joan Crawford, the whole shebang. Yeah, everyone had a fake name. Yeah. yeah. They also had a lot of plastic surgery. Um, and this wasn't like optional, by the way. This was you're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah. They were forced to keep these diets. I'm going to get a. They also had like. They hired spies to ensure people maintain their diets. I can't remember who it was. I want to say like Jean Harlow, maybe. They uh, wanted to ensure that she maintained her diet. And she had a an assistant who would report in to, and they would have like busboys and restaurants They'd pay them off. Stuff. They'd pay off yeah, all these people to spy on them. Oh, yeah. crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Wait till we get to the Hollywood fixers. Oh my gosh. And they had some women had weight limits in their contracts, which is really gross, really, really gross. They also came up with like intricate backstories for their actors. They were all fake, of, like, it was all bullshit. So even actors, when they weren't like acting in movies, they were acting like in real lives. Like they became real life characters of who they were supposed to be, which is um, crazy. Well, they, they didn't want, they didn't want like people to read stuff in Hollywood magazines and find out they again, it's all about illusion and fantasy in, in Hollywood. And it still is that way. I was just in Los Angeles two months ago. It's it's still they're all still got their heads up their ass. Um the Hollywood people, oh. not the people from California. Okay. The Hollywood people, not you or Matt. Anyways. Um, but uh so it's all about Matt, the illusion. Matt doesn't live in Hollywood. I lived in Hollywood. You lived in Hollywood, whatever. So it's all about illusion and fantasy. So they don't want some interviewer going, hey, how was your childhood? Well, my dad was a raging alcoholic and he used to beat my mom. And, you know, my brother died from polio when I was four. And, you know, the family never really recovered. And then we had to sell our house and we lived out of our car. They don't want to hear that shit. They want to hear that now, but they didn't want to hear that back then. So they would craft these stories. Oh, I came from... You know, South Dakota. I came from the farm, and oh no, I most used people they, they, with my wanted, papa. they wanted them to be. They didn't want the rags to riches story either. Like you came from a prominent family, well, <laughs> all yeah. that kind of jazz. I don't know why. That's kind of weird, but because considering today, from like today's stuff, oh. a lot of people lie about like coming from wealth, and they say they they came from poverty because it makes them sound better, bro, bro. bro. <laughs> a lot of bro. these people. Though, what is interesting is that they didn't actually tend to hire actors and stuff. Like their scouting agents would go and hire pretty people and they would do a screen test, which, and you know, this is black and white film. So they just wanted to see like, uh, if we hire you, what color are you going to need to dye your hair to look good in black and white, basically? Like, are you going to go platinum blonde? Or are you going to go black? Right. Those are kind of the only there, options. There was only like two or three options too, you know? Yeah. They didn't care about redheads. You can't see that. It's black and white. You know? well, then, well, yeah. So they would often get the actors, if you were going to be like a star, they would get you uh, vocal training and acting classes. Vocal training, especially Not around problems. the rise of the talkies. A lot of people's careers, you know, tanked um, because of the talkies. Because they never had to perform vocally before. They just so, had to look good. Yeah. So back good. in the... 
Yeah. So back in the day, um, around the rise of the talkies, some sometimes people's voices just didn't sound very good. Like they maybe had a higher register, particularly like with men, they had a higher register, even with women too. Uh, a lot of women, particularly in the 30s and 40s, when they were getting vocal lessons, they would have them lower their voice. That's why they all had that like sultry sound because people- Lauren uh, Paul is a great example of that. Yes, absolutely. I love the, I love the whistle. Um, Oh, the big yes. sleeve? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's because people, well, the studio heads thought that like a woman with a higher register sounded annoying. And I personally find that offensive. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Then we get to, like I said, the studios controlled like every aspect. And I mean, every aspect of these people's lives on a ridiculous level. Oh, yeah. So at this point, we're getting to lavender marriages. Wolf. Well, before I do that, I'll go back around to the Frankenstein thing. So as I said, the Hayes, because of the Great Depression, there was a moral backlash, which led to self-censorship on the part of the studios. The studios wanted to stop all of these, um, you know, rising censorship laws in different like states and cities. Plus, that's like really hard to keep track of. You know what I mean? Um, so they thought we'll just censor ourselves. That way we can just distribute everything everywhere. We don't have to like, you know, cut this to release it in this state and cut this to release it in that state. Cause that's just, that's just a lot of damn work. There are 50 states or I guess back then there were 48 states. And they didn't have iMovie either. So, yeah. You know, they had actually filmed. With razor blades and scissors. And Which I gotta say, that is very difficult to do if you've ever <laughs> done it. Anywho. Um, so... There was a lot of queer coding back in the day, which queer coding I've talked at nauseam about, but for people who don't know, um, that is basically a wink and a nod, a visual or an auditory way that you can kind of tip people off that there is a queer character or a queer story being told without it being overt, uh, without it being said, without it being explicit. That way they can get around these censorships with Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, the 30s films, one was made pre-code, one was made, like, right, Bride of Frankenstein came out, I think, in 34, 35, and it just kind of got around 34. the Hayes Code. James Whale was a gay man. He's the director. He was uh, an out gay man. This was not, like, a lot of queer people work behind the scenes in Hollywood, and this was very out and open and accepted. This is not something that is generally talked about in schools, because all you ever hear about, if you hear about anything in terms of queer history, is uh, litigation and laws and you know regulations. But back in the 20s, and even into the early 30s, while there were laws, there were a lot of cities, you know, San Francisco, Hollywood, Orlando, Greenwich, and New York, where there were huge queer communities that thrived and that was fine and that wasn't seen as anything like bad and most people weren't calling the cops or anything it wasn't until like the great depression where there were a lot more crackdowns because of that moral backlash so with bride of frankenstein it actually didn't get censored that much from my understanding and jimmy from what you wrote i'm assuming we learned about different things so i don't know what you read i can only talk about what i read uh, and that was that that film really just had to cut back in terms of like the God complex that Frankenstein had, because again, moral backlash, this is, this, the Hayes Code is very Catholic. So that was, you know, not deemed acceptable. Um, I mean, obviously that film's still super gay. <laughs> I didn't, I never picked up on that. 
But then again, Robbie I never, never picked up, up on any of that stuff. Never picked up on rope or power Ridiculous. of the dog either. So spoiler Ridiculous. alert: the power of the dog. Can I go on like a, a brief rant? Uh, let me pull up the proper uh, uh, meme first. Or but uh, three, yes. two, go for it, kid. Okay, so I was watching this show. And I'm watching the show and I'm like, oh, this is just some messy gays. These are just some messy gays. And I was talking to someone about it and he's arguing me or with me that this show is straight. And I'm like, oh yes, this show is super straight because there was all that, you know, laws against straight people back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up till today, you know, straight people can get married. They had to develop a code to, you know, to show other people that they're queer because obviously that, or to show people they're straight because you can't look at someone and know they're straight. Mm -mm. You have to, you have to have some sort of visual representation or some sort of audio representation to show to other people, again, wink, nod, that you're straight. And then there's all this censorship regarding straight representation. No, wait, none of that stuff exists. If you have to argue that something is straight, it's not. Think about it. No one's hiding straight. Okay, rant concluded. But anyway, that does tie back into the Hays Code. So, yes. I didn't there know Frankenstein was, was a gay movie, but um, I do think it's superior to Frankenstein. I think it's actually one of it's. it's like... Dracula, I mean, the Bride of Frankenstein, and then The Wolfman would probably be my three three favorite Universal uh, monster movies. By the way, when we were talking about studios earlier, Universal had a hold on horror. B movies. B movies. Well, horror. Well, those were mainstream horror movies. Yes, right? but I mean, also specifically, those are B movies. This is the oh, one sure. thing I, I this is the one thing I know about. Haha, ha, we've come into my territory. Um, yes. Universal had a hole on B movies, which were low budget. Um, and oftentimes they would film. This is, I think, the only case I know about where um, they still have both copies of these movies. It's Dracula, where they would film a film in English and use the same studio and simultaneously film a Spanish version. That way they could distribute them both because. When we get from silent films to talkies, that did create, I mean, obviously, because there was some wars going on between some things, international issues where it's more difficult to distribute a movie where people are talking internationally versus a film that's silent. Silent films can go anywhere and everywhere, and there's no language barrier. But talkies have a huge language barrier. And at the beginning of talkies, a lot of other countries really didn't want English films unless they were English speaking countries. Anyway, they're, sorry, I looked it up for so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Dracula is the only example I know where we have the English and the Spanish version both. And they're both really good, totally recommend. I've never seen the Spanish version. Is it free somewhere for me to watch? Probably. I'm not sure, I'd have to look it up. We'll hunt it down. We'll hunt it down. I mean, I own a copy, but I don't oh, know if no. it's available on the lines. It's probably... Don't loan me your DVDs. You won't get them back. No, I was thinking it might be... Uh, it should be oh, like a, available. Like I'll find it. Yeah. Spanish uh, Dracula. So anyway, lavender marriages. All that reduced back to this. Lavender marriages. So... Uh, lavender, generally, if you don't know, is a color that is associated with queerness. So what they would do is they would take an actor who was queer or even if they were suspected of being queer and they would force them to marry someone, whether it was another actor, if it was someone's secretary, like you're getting married. <laughs> 
And that's kind of fucking awful. There are some famous cases of this. I don't want to speculate. And for anyone in the chat, please don't speculate either. I don't think that's something that's nice to do. I, I just, I don't like that. I think it's very, very rude. Um, but for people we do know for show, uh, Rock Hudson was a queer man and he was forced into a lavender marriage. Um, there's a very famous man, William Haynes. He was like the most popular actor in 1930, like not the decade 1930s, the but like the year 1930. Um, and I think he was one of the most popular actors just in the first couple of years in the 1930s. He was a big box office draw. He was a gay man. He was very well known at the time. And I think it was Paramount. So the head of Paramount was like, dude, you gotta get married. You gotta, it's your boyfriend or your career. Um, he moved to Hollywood with a gentleman named Jimmy Shields, who was his boyfriend. And this is an early case of a lavender or like when that first kind of started to happen. And it was used as an example because he chose his boyfriend over his career. Uh, they were together for like almost 50 years. So clearly he made a great choice. He became a very wealthy and famous interior designer. It worked out really well for him. Um, but for other people, you know, a lot of people were forced into marriages that, and that's like really unfortunate. And on the flip side of a lavender marriage, we have instances where studios outright wouldn't allow someone to get married at all. Jean Harlow was contractually, um, not allowed, not allowed to, to get married because well, that was, would hurt their that would hurt their box office dollars because it would be like you know it would be immoral for her to be making out with some hunk on the screen when that she's married. That's that's not the reason, Rob. That's not the reason. What was the reason then? Her image. She had a certain um, image, and they didn't want her to get married because that would ruin that image. Okay. There were also forced abortions because these women had certain images. Oh, yeah, lots and of them. They didn't want um, stuff like that. For instance, one woman, very famously, oh my God, I blanked on her name. Yeah. Anyway, she um, had gotten pregnant by Clark Gable, and that may or may not have been a consensual situation, which is really, really awful. And she gave birth to a daughter. That we'll talk about fixtures in just a second. A fixer came and helped her set up a fake adoption so that she could adopt her daughter and say, you know, this is my daughter, even though they look like super alike. And it was just all very. Oh, her name was Loretta Young. And it oh, was yeah, all Loretta Young. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they like I everybody knew this was her biological daughter. This was this is like an open secret kind of situation. But um, but publicly, she had to say it was her adopted daughter. And uh, that's also very, very tragic. Was Clark Gable married at the time when they had this? He was married. And according to Loretta Young, that was not necessarily a consensual situation that happened to her. For example, and we had talked about this before the show, um, but I'm going to bring it up regardless. Um, For example, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn had a 27-year-long relationship until his death in 1967. They, him and his wife did not live in the same house. They were legally married and all of the tabloids, oh, Spencer Tracy and his wife and kids. And he's a family man. He's a Catholic family man, Catholic family man. Meanwhile, he's either living in hotels or living in apartments or whatever. And he's been with Catherine Hepburn for 27 years, you know, and then he died. Also, Catherine Hepburn did not want to get married. 
They made nine movies together. I've seen three of them. Well, they made a lot of movies back then. Just all kinds of movies. But anyway, that leads to, oh, the Hollywood. Tom Holland was in all of them. Mm. Never mind. Go ahead. I was making a Tom Holland. I said Tom Holland was in all of them. Joke. Okay. Tom Holland's in like every new, like him and Mark, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I know they just did Uncharted together, but it's like every fucking movie. I haven't seen Mark Wahlberg in a movie since the happening. Anyway, so we had Hollywood fixers and these are, so oftentimes it's something that's what, happens. that's the job I would want to have. If I was back in the, like, I obviously would want to be a director, but like, if I couldn't be involved in Hollywood that way, I would definitely want to be a fixer. So back in the olden times, oh, how these people got up to some shenanigans and they would call in fixers like before they, the police and they would help them uh, fix any kind of problems. Rob, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So like the analogy that I would give if you're a little maybe newer to this, um, if you've seen the movie Pulp Fiction, when they call Wolf, when they call uh, Harvey Keitel's character to come kind of clean up their mess. It literally, that's what they would do back in Hollywood all the time. So whether it was a murder or a rape assault situation or faking adoption papers or faking anything, covering things up so or paying off uh, uh, Hollywood magazines, paying off newspapers, which we'll get to William Randolph first in a moment. Uh, that's literally what they did. And they did it. All of the time that was normal business that was done in Hollywood, because here's the reality of it. There was a lot of terrible things uh, that went on in Hollywood back in the day. And you would think at one point or another, they would have stopped. And then, you know, here comes this guy, Harvey Weinstein. And it's like, nope, same shit goes on almost a hundred years later. Not very much has changed. So, yes. I mean, I hate to break it to the to the world, but that's not exclusive to the film industry. That's everywhere. Well, that's everywhere. We're we're specifically talking about Hollywood, but yeah. Yeah, but that's that's not a Hollywood thing. That's that's everywhere. Yeah. In two ways. Yeah. Go ahead. But that does bring us to oh some scandals. But I want to specifically state that these scandals are. There are some early Hollywood scandals that are important because they do lead to morality clauses, which do still exist today. And I'm going to rant about them towards the end of this. So some early Hollywood scandals. The first kind of one was the death of Olive Thomas in 1920. Oh, wait, I have a picture. Ha ha. This is the first young lady at the very end. I really like this picture. Anyway, uh, she died in 1920. So what had happened was she was on a vacation with her husband. Like most actors in this day, she used a lot of drugs and she drank a lot. It's just a time period. And I don't, nobody really knows exactly what happens. She drank something she should not have. What this was is topical ointment for her husband's, uh, I think, syphilis. So topical ointment means it's for your skin. It's not to be ingested. 
However, the bottle was in French, so she may not have, she didn't read French, so she may not have known what the bottle was for, and she might have mistook it for something else. Nobody really knows if it was a, um, she was taking her own life, or if she, it was just an accident. I'm not here to speculate, but this was really sensationalized, and a really tragic example of, you know, something that happens to young Hollywood stars. Uh, in terms of the sensationalization. So William Randolph Hearst and Yellow Journalism. That's a whole fucking topic. That's a whole, that's its own episode, but. For, I actually have for, a video on it if anyone's interested. Anywho, nobody cares. We'll, we will Moving link on. it in the description. No, it's worth mentioning. William Randolph Hearst, <laughs> 100%. Um, he was in the compilation up top. This guy, if you don't know who William Randolph Hearst is, I definitely recommend watching the movie Citizen Kane just to kind of get somewhat of a gist it's I very loosely RKO 281 very loosely based on William Randolph Hearst um he is also one of the reasons that marijuana is illegal you know because he had a lot of interests in the cotton industry in the south and, and paper <laughs> and paper and here comes hemp which is you know going to put cotton under and he's like fuck we got to start a smear campaign so marijuana bad Marijuana's the devil. We should specify William Randolph Hearst was a media mogul. So think like what Disney is today. He was in the you know late 1800s to early 20th century. He owned a lot of newspapers and could really kind of control like what the U.S. knows. It was insane. Um, he had a kind of a rivalry with Pulitzer. Just be clear. Pulitzer, also an asshole. Anywho, uh, what William Randolph Hearst was kind of worse. And with newspapers were in those days known for sensationalization and yellow journalism, yellow journalism specifically is outright lying um, and like not having any well, facts. Kind of like now. Yeah. And <coughs> Fox News. There's, a, there's a whole big thing yeah. with um, <laughs> William, with uh, Orson Welles reading on um, Halloween Eve, the. Um, War of the Worlds, the whole thing about people getting into hysterics, total fabrication, never happens. And um, anyway, that's it, how he ended up being able to make a movie about William Randolph Hearst, known as Citizen Kane. It's a full circle. It's very interesting. Again, I have a whole like 30-minute rant on it. Anyone and watch it? Make. RKO 281's better. Anywho, um, another unfortunate way. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what another scandal. I guess in Hollywood. Um, you use safe words. Um, do you, you want to talk about uh, fatty? Hang on. Let Let All me right. set it up. All right. I'll let you. Set okay. It. I'll just so, say the word and the, the gentleman. Uh, second image of the gentleman with the bright blue eyes is one Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, in 1921, he went on trial because a woman, Virginia Rapp, died at a party at his hotel. And he was accused of uh, sexual assault. And uh, I, I don't know if he was accused of like negligent homicide, but I do know that so, came up in one so of the literally trials. Literally what happened was he raped her, okay? Okay, again, because he, he really was got so, to work on the word assault. He was so big, he was so big, he caused her parts to hemorrhage eventually. And she died a few days later. He literally broke her. 
Yes, Lego doesn't like it when I'm blunt like that, but sometimes you just got to tell the facts how it is. This is the dark side of Hollywood, people, you know. So anyway, he, there was two or three trials. There were two. And, did, yeah, did and they, they all resulted in hung juries, and then the yeah. third trial, he was acquitted, and that was it. Yes. His career never recovered. He died in 1933. That's but, considered the first, like, that and all of Thomas to kind of go back and forth, and they're considered, like, the first major Hollywood scandals. Yeah. Uh, I think this is at the point where, like, people, like, there's not only sensationalization in terms of uh, media coverage. This is also at the time we're getting, like, had uh, what's her name? Hedda Harper, who is, like, a tabloid journalist. She had been an actress, and then she transitioned into, like, basically um, telling people secrets and stuff in tabloids. Watch and... the movie L.A. Confidential. That kind yes. Of I think I wrote that. Keep it on the hush, hush. Um, although I think, you know, Danny DeVito's amazing, but I would have liked more on her i think she was in yeah she's represented in rko 281 which is why it's a superior film um then we get into this middle gentleman here wait where'd it go oh sometimes looking for things is hard (laughs) this is william desmond taylor he was a film director and I think he was known as like the the father of, of westerns. He very famous. Wait, hang on. Hey, got another troll. Wow, you're so popular, Rob. Uh, you know, I don't know. So anyway, um, when he was 49 years old, in oh, he died on February 2nd, 1922. Two, two, 1922. The 49-year-old filmmaker, director had been shot at least once in the back and to this day remains a cold case. If you look it up, there's like a thousand possible suspects. This man was just all over the damn place. It's very sad. These people made a lot of enemies. That's the thing. And lovers. Like, I guess it goes back to like Scream. There's always some bullshit reason to kill your partner. Sure. Which is sad, but somehow true. Like, yeah, domestic violence. So much of it. So that, yeah. So all that being said, I mean, it's uh, if you're oh, not getting the gist of it, it's pretty dark and grim. Because, for example, to go back to Fatty Arbuckle, this happens. They try to cover it up. Yada yada yada. He ends up going to trial. Now were the jurors paid off? Is that why it was a hung jury? Nobody knows. You know, and at the same time, some of the newspapers are painting him in a negative light. Some of the newspapers that are getting paid off by the studio are painting him in a positive light while all this is going on. He goes to trial. I mean, who goes to trial three times for the same crime, two uh, that's a hung actually jury and once for an not acquittal? Un- that's not uncommon. Well. It's not. <laughs> maybe I'm trying to sell something. I was saying nowadays the studios get that for free because Twitter does it for you. They don't have to pay anyone off. Yay, we've come around. I wish we could get rid of social media and go back to some of the more quiet times. But yes, there is that. Who you got next? Uh, let's see here. Um, you know, there is a lot of people who died from just addiction. This one woman, Martha Mansfield, this is not a scandal. I just found this terrifying. Uh, she was in a co- her costume for a movie, and her costume yeah. caught on fire. That's and she died. That's yeah. horrific. Uh, but anyway, our next like 
big scandal was Thomas H. Eanes. And this comes back to William Randolph Hearst again. I've never seen it, but if you watch oh, the Cat's Meow, that has to do with what we're about to talk about. So I apologize. William Desmond Taylor, not the father of the Western. Thomas H. Eanes, father of the Western. Um, that's, that's he created thought, one of the first studios in the United States. He created the assembly line in terms of like how films are made. So I guess he's just kind of copying Ford, which is interesting. And he died on William Randolph Hearst's yacht um, in Charlie November of 1924. Yes, Charlie Chaplin was there, as was Marion Davis, who was um, William Randolph Hearst's. Um, who Amanda Seyfried played in Mank, Marion Davies. Yeah. Hey, Rob, have I you seen Mank recently? I did. We watched. We both watched it last week. Thing. I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yeah, Marion Davis was there and she was involved with romantically with William Randolph Hearst. And there was this, there's a lot of speculation over how he died. Um, like the official, the official report is, I don't remember. It wasn't like a natural thing. Like he'd had, um, he had heart issues. Correct. Correct. And they carried him off on a stretcher. They took him off the boat and they had to cover up the fact that he had a fucking bullet wound in him. Maybe there's yeah. no evidence. No, he was shot. You just believe you believe so it all. The theory, I so absolutely where, where are you with Natalie Wood? Natalie Wood, what wood don't float? I don't know what that means. You've never heard that joke? What wood don't float? No. Natalie Wood. She drowned. She hurt. She was on the boat. So you don't think her husband water. killed her? I don't know. You believe all this other stuff, but you don't believe Natalie. But I, so I truly think that the reason the reason why Inns died is because he was mistaken for Chaplin because they they somewhat looked alike and it was dark. And oh, and William I'm sorry. Randolph, Once William again, Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst. Man Charlie, in the middle is Charlie Chaplin was fucking his girlfriend, and so second from the last. How does that guy look like Charlie Chaplin in the dark? Well, regardless. He was oh wait! Can I rant about Charlie Chaplin for a Charlie minute? Chaplin, and he was he was shot, and that's you know, you know. Can I rant cool. about Charlie Chaplin for a minute? Go ahead. Okay. Are you this gonna shit also... on Charlie Chaplin? Yes. Why? Because he's a pervert and a predator. I know, but his influence and his impact on American culture—the first half of the twentieth. Okay, so. <laughs> I was watching. This was going to be the first episode where I didn't get removed either. God damn it. <laughs> I was watching this uh, on a YouTube, like this guy talking about early Hollywood scandals to do research on this. And I was saying like, just to get some ideas, I always like, I'll watch something and then I do my own research because you always do your own research. Anywho. So this cat was over here defending Charlie Chaplin. You ever watch a video and you're like, oh my God, I can feel, I'm not here, feel your bias. This fucking dude was all like, Charlie Chaplin married this woman and she claimed he was an abusive guy and their divorce thing. And she said this and she said that and it ruined his career. And he had to pay her all this money in their divorce settlement. And then you look at it, it's like, dude, he married her when she was 15 years old to avoid an a statutory assault charge. I don't care if she was lying about him being abusive or not. This wasn't the first time he married a 15-year-old. He's a predator. He's a pervert. And 
Good. I want to. I want to say so much. Right. Was well, I do think he's a great actor. I do think he's a very normal thing that went on. So what was that, Rob? I said that was a. I'm not making excuses for it. That was a very normal thing that went on. Rob, no, no, no. One, I can disprove that. Want to know why I can disprove that? He married her to avoid statutory rape charges. Clearly, he might not have known she was was wrong at the time. Sure. So that was legal at the time. Legally wrong. Morally, it was a different situation. No, it wasn't. That's why people started. That's why it ruined his career. Because it was immoral back then. People got to stop saying this was morally okay back then. It was not. Absolutely not. Jerry now, if you want to go to like the 1800s, okay. Yeah, because people didn't live as long back then. Right. No, because I mean, I feel like even in the 1800s, I mean, go like, early when, 1800s. When did it become illegal? When did like rape, when did that, you know, when did that hold? I actually have research on this. The, the and history it of was sexual assault? Yes, oh. I do. You do. Thank you. Yeah, so there was a case in England, and I think it was like eight. It was either eighteen thirty four or eighteen sixty four. Okay. It was pretty early. Um, no, and they had they had laws back then, and we carried them over from from England. So this is like this is something that's kind of always been frowned upon. Like like there there's always been kind of like that's why there's uh have you seen the movie Teeth? No. All right. So do you know what the movie's about? No, I don't. Please oh, okay. Uh, I was going to say, like, that movie is about a woman who has teeth in her vagina. And if she is sexually uh, in a situation where she doesn't want to be, she can bite. <laughs> anyway, a that movie, is... I'm assuming? Yes. But that 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 is not... that. The movie, like, that was not an original idea. That was... That used to be folklore. That, that was something that well, we yeah have. have you seen clerks too yes i was gonna say it's also mentioned in clerks too yeah. um but the reason that that existed is to persuade boys from going around and sexually assaulting women right but like there there have always kind of been uh like oral stories and stuff like that to kind of pr- dissuade people from you know being involved with girls who are too young like that's 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 been a thing for a real damn long time. Now, what the idea of what's too young has been has changed because lifespans have changed, but you know, not that much. I mean, kind of historically, I mean, since this country's been a country, 15 has always been too young. Right. And that is just a fact. Right. That's why Jerry Lee Lewis got in all that trouble. He didn't get in legal trouble, but he married his 13 year old cousin, you know? He was in like that, yes, that too, but also there there is an age thing. It's both, Jimmy. Things can be both. So I'll carry something well, out. Because also yeah. because the reason it's still the girl's still considered property is because she's too young to not be. It's a whole thing. Anyway, moving on. That's true. Technically, and for all the parents out there, remember your children are your property until they're 18 years old. To an extent, remember that. Um, that's not exactly tr- true. Um, move, moving on, moving on. I'm so going. Errol Flynn. Have you guys ever heard the term no. "in like Flynn"? Oh. God, I hate Errol Flynn. Go on. Why? Well, okay, I mean, given, but given like Errol yeah. Flynn 
is the greatest fucking name ever created. But like, it was a letdown uh, for you because he's not a great person. Who who goes to court for a sexual assault case and picks up a woman <laughs> who he later marries? But like, uh, I'm so. Saying- Everybody here, I know you all know who Han Solo is, okay? Harrison Ford is Han Solo. Han Solo was written to kind of be this uh, throwback to like a swashbuckler from, you know, the 30s and 40s. And uh, Errol Flynn was the OG. He, you know, he did all the sword fighting movie. You know, he played Robin Hood, the whole shebang, okay? That was Errol Flynn. Womanizing, he's an alcoholic. He was known for getting in many brawls. And in 1942, he was charged with statutory rape of two 17-year-old girls, Betty Hansen and Peggy Slattery. In February of 1943, he was cleared of all of those charges. Gee, I wonder why. Payoffs. Hello. Well, no, no, no. no. It's not necessarily payoffs. I was going to say also, because here's the big thing. Most people, particularly white people, well, let's be specific, white men. White men. White Christian males. Don't don't go to prison for this shit. They don't. Sure. Well, they do. And now. it's also it's kind of like with um, I think Cheryl Andrejo is like the most famous case, but it's it's victim shaming and victim blaming, and that that really happened with this case, and that's really but sad. But what's important is that Errol Flynn, because of this, his career never did recover. It like with Fatty Arbuckle. He was he was around. He he continued to make some movies, and then like right before his death, he actually had pretty much signed a new contract. He was getting back into film. Errol Flynn's career never recovered because of this. Because by the 1940s, it was different than the 20s and the 30s. It was a lot. Again, we talked about morals and all that sort of stuff. And by the 40s, people were like, "Man, this guy stinks. He's a terrible person," you know. So there was, it, it was a lot harder to let things go as it was, you know, the further we get into the 20th century with technology, with newspapers, with all that sorts of stuff, the further in we go, the harder it is to hide things and clean things up, et cetera, et cetera. So his career never recovered. And yes, Errol Flynn is definitely one of the probably 20 most popular people from the golden age of Hollywood, It you know, uh, but He's not talked about like Humphrey Bogart's talked about or Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant or any of those people because he does kind of have this negative mark on his report card, you know, for obviously, you know, because he did a terrible There was thing, also rumors so. that he was a Nazi supporter, um, unsubstantiated, but like yeah. that's definitely going to get I had to blow my nose, him. Jimmy, and I don't do it on camera. What? He said, did Rob just wander off screen for a second? Oh, Okay. Nose. I got you. I got you. I got you. So anyway, all of these, there are other scandals like Rudolph Valentino's death and stuff like that. Um, but all of mentioning. these, what? It's worth mentioning. Yeah. But all of these in the early ninth, early to mid 1920s led to the creation of uh, morality clauses and what these were, which still exist today. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, they are basically clauses that when an actor is doing something that, the public usually um, gives them backlash for a studio can cut their ties because they think that this person's going to be like box office poison. Now Um, today, morality clauses still exist, which is why like sometimes people 
will end up being cut from movies if like there are allegations or something against them. <clears throat> um, uh, but Death on the Nile. Oh, I don't know. Death on the Nile was supposed to come out. Yes, Death on the Nile got po- got postponed because of COVID, but it also got postponed because of Army Hammer talking about being accused of cannibalism. Oh, right. oh yeah, that's why that movie kind of came under the radar. Yes, um, but also I think something that's not really talked about a lot, but like for like big actors, especially today, those morality clauses do actually go both ways, <laughs> which is something that like. What does that mean? Okay, so hang on. I'll use an example. Let's say. The Rock is set to be in a movie, like the Black Adam movie, for instance. Okay, so Rock really wants to be Black Adam. He's he's in a movie. They're getting the director because he was he was set up to be in this movie before they landed a director, right? So let's say the studio wanted to get Brian Singer. The Rock could say, "I'm not going to be in this movie if he's directing it." The morality clause he can say if like the director or the studio has problems, like in terms of like morality. He, the actor can get out of a contract too. That's what I mean. It's not just studios cutting actors and directors. Actors can cut ties as well. Sure. So when you when you watch a movie and like, for instance, oh, I don't know, Bohemian Rhapsody, and you want to look at all these people working with the oh, open secret, terrible. and it's like, no, no, you made that choice. Don't be pretending like you had you had contractual obligations. You made a choice. Now, if it's like. An actor who's like, you know, D-list, I don't really like that, but like D-list, um, they might not have those options. Or if it's someone like this is like their first, this is like their breakout movie. Um, um, okay, I'm willing to give that a pass. But like, uh, but like. But why, like, so stars, here's my question. Whatever. Army Hammer, Army Hammer making a comment about cannibalism, or, you know, drinking. I don't know enough water. about it. Okay. I don't know. Like, I really don't know enough about like, it. Like, what is worse? Sexual assault or cannibalism? It's obviously sexual assault. You know, like so it's mean. like, I don't understand well, why. Did you murder someone and eat them? Because no. I feel like that's a problem. No, because no. that's what that would be the headline. Army Hammer charged with murder. You know, not Army Hammer cannibal question mark. Dot dot dot. You know, big difference. Big difference. Hashtag justice for cannibals. But yes. Uh, Jimmy, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, oh, so yeah, I mean, there's just there, people what? are weird, and I'll leave it at that. Very strange, very strange things happening in, in a world, strange landia. You know what? Just like both things can be true, two things can be bad. Two Danny, you and I are on the same page, Ambassador. Always on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not hashtagging that. You know what? I can agree with that, French. Hey, you know what? I lasted an hour and 14 minutes trying to be actually serious and professional and all that stuff, but it's it's time I did for the not. Break. <laughs> I, I, professionalism. Give it up. Give it up for Lego. Like Lego did, I mean, I did a lot of research too, but Lego made all these charts and graphs and we have rundowns on this show now. Like, I feel like we're a professionally run entity. This is great. So all I got to do is watch YouTube vids and some movies that I missed from the 30s and 40s. You know, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. Go ahead. So anyway, in summation, the studio system was pretty shit. 
at the beginning of this, I explained that uh, a lot of these uh, studios were controlling all aspects of the filmmaking process from production distribution to ex uh, exhibition in that they owned movie theaters. Uh, during the early 1940s, we started to, as a country, encounter uh, counter urbanization. Urbanization is when people move to urban areas. Counter urbanization is when people move out of big cities to more rural areas. And that really um, started when the baby boom started because people started to migrate out of the cities and have kids. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, um, Movie or uh, movie studios had their monies tied monies had their money tied into theaters that were in existence in brick and mortar existence in big cities. Uh, so when they moved to these bigger sprawling like you know rural uh, what do you call them suburbs and shit. I hate suburbs. What arose was the drive-in theater, um, which uh, drive-in theaters the first like. Uh, patented. Apparently, everything is patented. Uh, opened in you know, 1930. And uh, they peaked in the 1940s throughout the 1960s. And this was, as Rob said, because of the baby boom after people came back from World War One um, and uh, car ownership spiked World in War the 40s. So people could drive in because before that they really couldn't because they didn't have cars. So this created like another option for people to have and not as many people went to the theater in um, like actual like, like existing like theaters that the studios owned. Right. Uh, and then of course came uh, what I mentioned earlier in 1948, we have some antitrust measures, which is the United States versus Paramount or Hollywood antitrust case, which the Supreme Court decided that they violated antitrust laws so major studios um, had to sell their theater holdings and they lost distribution control. Uh, this case was originally filed in 1938. I think the entirety of this stuff uh, went on for like 18 years in total before um, that Supreme Court decision came out in 1948. So it took a really, 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 really long time. Yes, the Paramount Accords. Um, and around that time also is when Howard Hughes purchased RKO and RKO started its financial decline. I mean, kind of all the studios did for a little while after that. Um, but yeah, they had a, RKO was like the first major studio to kind of go under. I think at one point Desilu owned it. Oh, okay. Pretty cool, cool, cool. Lucille Ball's company, if you're- Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I, wrote, I wrote a quote. Um, in the 1950s, Hollywood faced three great changes. The Paramount case ending the studio system. The new popularity of television. I wrote uh, by 1955, half of all U.S. homes had a television. Um, and the post-World War II consumer spending provided its audience with many other leisure options. So interestingly enough, I don't mean I'm going to segue real quick. Uh Interestingly enough, to go off of what Lego is saying, I've talked about this on some of my programs on this channel as well. Um, I talk about the birth of rock and roll all the time. And whenever I, whenever I talk about the birth of rock and roll, i.e. Elvis, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Little Richard and all that stuff, why did rock and roll become an entity? Because due to the baby boom starting in the mid-1940s, by the time you got to the mid to late 1950s, you had a thing called teenagers. And for the first time, and if you can believe this, it's true. There was a time in America 
where you could just walk into a store and get a job, any job, and that job would get you so you could have a car and a television and a house. And the wife stayed at home and took care of the kids. And the guy went to work from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And they, they had no worries. They could afford to live in a house in suburbia at 30 minutes outside of Chicago like I do, you know. And uh, there was disposable income for said kids to buy rock and roll records and go see movies like Rebel Without a Cause and Streetcar Named Desire with hunks like James Dean, Marlon Brando, later people like Marilyn Monroe. These sex symbols of the 1950s were very different from prior decades. Why? Were you going to cover all that? Is why? Okay. Go yes! ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So I just want to like on a brief Go side, because this is, this is, I'm going off what you said, Rob, going off what you said. Okay. Uh, all that changed in the 1980s with Reaganomics, which is the most evil thing that has ever happened to this country. Oh, okay. Reaganomics Reaganomics. Cool. They said it was very beneficial. My econ teacher lied to me. You believe that? Your high school econ teacher? Yeah, they were wrong. It's some bullshit. We are still, still in encountering the negative economic side effects of Reaganomics. But also what happened was in the 1960s, we had second wave feminism, which unfortunately sometimes you, well, when the country or any country attempts to right social injustices, we often kind of do encounter negative economic side effects, um, especially when it comes to second wave feminism. Second wave feminism, what really lobbied women to be able to go to colleges at equal way in equal ways that men could to get paid. I believe that was a Supreme Court decision that came down in 1963 saying that uh, the Equal Pay Act. Um, then we also Which have has women never just, really been upheld. No, it is. No, yes, I, I know, but don't women make 73 cents on the dollar? That's not what that's saying. So that's another thing. A lot of people don't understand raw numbers. So what that, what you just referenced is actually saying that if you take every single man in this country with a job from like Joe who works at a gas station in Oregon to like Elon Musk and you combine um, their annual income and you take every single woman who works in this country from Mary who works at Denny's part-time to Catherine Bigelow and you combine their income, um, women make, I think it's like 80 something cents to a man's dollar. That is what that number says. If you have two people who have a similar education, who started at a company um, around the same time, legally, they do make the same amount because they have to, with the exception being bonuses and negotiations. And statistically, women do not negotiate for higher raises um, at the rate in which men do. Um, but that's where the only encounter you'll, you'll find a difference in pay rates. So that, I, I can get into a really big, long thing. That wasn't what I was talking about, but now I don't remember what, oh yeah, second wave feminism. Um, so that's a whole big, long thing. And also I think we can really reduce it if we talk about the pink tax, but that's not here. Anyway, um, oh, so second wave, yeah, well actually specific, well, just like sometimes, you've noticed like when, someone, when someone's trying to argue something and you're like, buddy, I think you're missing the bigger picture. So like when people argue, Pink tax. I'm like, okay, pink tax is fucked up, but not half as fucked up as tampon tax. And you cannot argue that we need to have the Equality um, Act because I don't see how you can logically make an argument that um, feminine hygiene products being taxed is not clearly, clearly 
discriminating against females because females are the only ones who have to purchase them. There's no equitable thing that men are being taxed on. And to avoid, um, you know, sexual discrimination, you have to have, you don't necessarily need to be the same, but you have to have something that's equitable. So for instance, like if you work for a company, you can't say like, men have to dress in, in three-peat suits and women can wear whatever they want. That's sexual discrimination against men because you're you're putting a higher standard for men to have. I wish we went back to wearing three-piece suits. But I've got two suits collecting dust in my closet. And it's like, I don't have anywhere oh. to wear these suits. What am I going to do Walmart? But anyway, um, now see, now I'm, I've lost my point. Oh, okay. But um, you can say like, men have to, uh, you know, both men and women um, need to wear a button-up shirt because that's equitable. Or you could say uh, they need to dress professionally and you can have a standard for what that means for men versus women as long as it's doesn't need to be the same, just needs to be equitable. Equitable doesn't mean exactly the same. It just means equal standard. Okay, so going back to what I was talking about, second wave feminism. So second wave feminism, ultimately the biggest thing that came out of it is mommy and daddy go to work. Well, if you know anything about inflation, inflation is a, um, as inflation rises, unemployment has to be down. So the more people are working, inflation goes up. The less people are working, inflation goes down. Inflation always rises to meet the or lowers to meet the normal, with the exception being like war times and stuff like that. Um, Which we're about so there. There's an inverse. So unemployment down, inflation up. Unemployment up, inflation down. When you have a situation where back in the day and for forever, men could work and on their salary alone, they could pay for their house, their refrigerator, the car, a wife and 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. But when as from the 60s to the 80s, the movement for women to go to work created a situation where now it's not mommy can go to work. The next generation is mommy has to go to work. And the big issue comes from when you have kids. Well, now I can't get a job and go out and get a house on my own. Now I have to have someone with me. You have to have two because the standard became two person income. And that really, really fucked up the economy again with Reaganomics. Because trickle down theory is a lie. Mike dropped. I can go on this for a really long time. Uh, I can also Danny, go back to the pink thing. Put that out. Please leave you the time code in the uh, comment section. And by the way, I'm going to plug something real quick. Everybody, like, do me a huge favor. When the show's over with, go to the comment section. Let us know. What do you guys think about kind of this new form? This is our first episode kind of doing this new sort of format for characters of culture. We're going to be covering a lot of movies here this year. Shout out to John Get Bent, who made the suggestion that we kind of cover movies decade by decade. We're going to be starting that in like five, six weeks. We got some other shows lined up in between. But um, I'm really digging this. This is a lot... This is a lot of fun. Because... I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I'll admit I'm not always perfect. And this is one of those questions where I do try to be inclusive, but I don't necessarily always know the right way to talk about things. And I don't want to sound like a fucking turf because I'm not. So I specifically said female hygiene specifically because I think female is more generally associated with sex as opposed to 
gender. But I don't, because I also don't want to just reduce people down to their genitalia. But should I say like menstruators or should I just say menstrual products? I just don't know the right way to talk about this situation or not situation, but like the, well, yeah, situation. I don't know the right way to talk about this financial injustice. Is it a mini rant? No, that was just, I mean, it's not a rant if it's a question, right? Can a question be a rant? Have I been doing questions wrong my whole life? No, I've been doing them right. That being said, I think we are going to wrap things up. What have we learned today? Excuse me. What, what have we learned today, boys and girls? There, all this stuff went down. We kind of covered the first 50 years of film, more or less. Okay. We'll, we're going to do decade by decade and cover like some of our favorite movies and the most influential movies in film. That's the project we're starting later in the spring. But what have we learned? If you don't change things, History will continue to just do the same shit over and over again. So luckily, because of things like the 1948 Paramount Accords, you know. And the, the De Havilland Law. The theaters don't, um, or the, the production studios do not own the theaters. But they're starting to again. If you notice, Netflix is, is building their own theaters. Why? So that they can put their movies in the theater so they can be considered for the Academy does, Awards. Does anyone know why Disney can basically own El Capitan? I don't really know. I, you know, I don't know. But I mean, again, so in five, 10 years, we might be having this conversation and it's like, well, you know, I'm going to the Disney theater and that's where they play Marvel, Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I'm going to the Warner Brothers. Well, they might not theater. be able to do block booking. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's true. But no, I mean, seriously, it's like, and then you think about, you know, somebody like Harvey Weinstein, and it's like, to think that that sort of stuff still goes on today when the term casting couch, you know, it's been around for forever. But, you know, you think about all these things that went on back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and it's like, well... They either just got better at covering it up for a while because it seemed to be everybody in Hollywood knew about Weinstein. Nobody just did anything about it because he had too much power, you know? Um, and it's interesting. It's just, these are, to me, these conversations are very interesting because it's not, it's not your usual run of the mill, you know, Star Wars talk and all that. I love Star Wars, but, you know, some a little different. So. You want to close it out, Lego? What do you What do you got? Thoughts? Ah, uh, man, the world is corrupt, and we see that corruption through celebrities. But then, through some twist of horrible logic, a fallacy, if you will, we pretend we wrap our minds around this idea that it only happens in Hollywood, and that's not true. All of this shit, all this corruption, happens in every industry all over this glorious country people take advantage of power oh yeah that's what jamie said right there Absolutely. uh yeah and it's not even like absolute power corrupts absolutely mild power corrupts General now that's a great movie corrupts. by clint eastwood absolute power check that out if you've never seen it it's got nothing to do with what we talked about today Okay. I love Clint Eastwood. Ugh, gross. So, 
Um, yeah, there's just, I mean, the golden age of Hollywood produced a lot of really phenomenal fucking films that I absolutely love. And you got to see a lot of people like trailblazing, going out there and being like, you know what? The status isn't quo. I'm going to change it. And they did. And okay, some people failed, but they tried. And that's awesome. And, you know, you were right with what you said. But I don't think we're learning from most of these mistakes. (laughs) Yay! We'll know in time. All right, everybody. uh, Do us a favor. Smash that like button if you haven't had a chance yet. Leave us a comment after the show's over. Helps with the algorithms and all the other stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed this uh, little new version of Characters of Culture. It's only going to get better from here, folks. So just remember that. I'm Rob Fishback. You can find me all over God's green earth at Rob Fishback. Lego, what do you got going on? Where can the people find you? Um, you know, still still talking about bad movies, mostly shark movies, but I think I might branch out and talk about some other bad movies. Maybe a good movie. Anyone seen The Love Witch? If not, let me know because I want to talk about it. So bad. Anyway, yep, that's me. I and can uh, if you're not in our Discord, if, yeah, if you're not in our Discord, join the Discord. It's free. And we're doing this whole Nick Cage thing this year. Lego picks one Nick Cage movie a week. And we watch it. And sometimes we talk about it. Sometimes we just don't, but we all know like, hey, we all watched this movie in the same weekend. This week? I don't know. I don't know if, where it can be found, but I, I, I'm wondering if we no can pressure. find it. Vampire, Vampire's Kiss. Have you seen that seen one? <gasps> you know these things. You know, I've seen may, a lot of mainstream movies from the silent era through now. It's a lot of, a lot of holes. I got to get you to watch Martin. But anyway... Martin, like with Martin Lawrence? No, it's, I've told you about this movie. It's a vampire movie directed by Romero. Oh, yeah, you did tell me about that. And it's basically Vampire's Kiss. Great dog Oh, listen, I made you a deal. The last show we did, I said I would wait for you so we could watch The Lost Boys together. So, you know, but you, you, never, you never texted me. Hey, what are you doing busy. I got things. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Uh, watching Lost Boys with you. Never got the message. So. I'm not good at initiating conversation. I can't do it this weekend, but maybe we'll watch it next week. Take it easy, everybody. Have a great night. <laughs>